This is Full Coffers with your host, Phil and Tony Bugs from Abundant Harvest Christian Fellowship Ministries. And this week on Full Coffers, we're talking about the journey, part one. <laughs> Sounds like a book, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Hello, everyone, again. This is uh, Tony Bugs and Phil Bugs, and this is Full Coffers. And we are beginning our second episode of our podcast. And what we're going to do is we want you to understand who we are. And so what better way to do that than to kind of take you down memory lane. And we're going to start way back in 1978. 78. The year of Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Ooh. Gap Band, P-Funk, <laughs> <laughs> and all that good stuff. Bill Bottoms. <laughs> Afro Puffs. Afro <laughs> Window pane jeans. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take you back. And again, um, we want you to, to know who we are. We're going to be as transparent as we can. And we want you to, I guess, just want to build a rapport with you. And we just want to let you know how we got started and, and how we got to where we are today, 40 plus years later. In hopes that some of what we share, you will find valuable to use in your own life experiences. That's right. So we're going to start with me because I'm She's me. special. I'm Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, really quick, I was um, born in a small town in Alabama, but I spent a lot of my formative years in Brooklyn, New York with my parents. Lived in a brownstone, went down south every summer, um, but I was a child that witnessed domestic violence in the home. Um, probably as early as I can remember, uh, my parents were um, fighting a lot, and, and really it was more my father being abusive to my mother. And, you know, it, it caused um, a lot of trauma in my life. Um, shortly after my sister was born, uh, we moved. My mother finally got up the courage, and she left my father, and we stayed a little bit with her parents again in Alabama, and then we relocated to Detroit, Michigan, where um, I began my teenage years. Uh, we moved to a little town called Highland Park, Michigan, where I started junior high, and then eventually... What year was this? Uh, when I moved to Highland Park, it was 1970s. And I was going into the seventh grade and or actually it was my second semester in seventh grade. And I, I at that point I met my two best childhood friends, Gail and Sandra, and they became basically my lifelong friends. Um, during that time also, I'm starting to go into puberty and, and flowering out. I'll just say it that way. Um, and uh, started to discover boys. Now, I had a little uh, odd activity that I did when I was uh, about 14, 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a young man that lived across the street and he was a really nice young man, much older than myself, of course, but he was very friendly. He was very friendly to the kids in the neighborhood. So uh, I had formed a little crush on him. So I would spend the entire summers, you know, in the house and I would keep my hair rolled up and, um, when I knew he was getting ready to get off work, because he worked for one of the plants up there, and it, he probably worked one of those um, seven to three shifts. So usually by 3.30, he was coming home. So I'd leave my hair in curlers all day, and then about 3 o'clock, I'd start taking down my hair and kind of getting all fluffed up and everything. And then I would go and sit out on my porch. And sure enough, usually 3.30 on the dot, he'd drive up in his gold Cadillac. I think it was like a 73 <laughs> or 74 Cadillac, 
two-door coupe. And he would get out, and he'd be all dirty because he worked in the plant and everything, had goggles on his head and long white coat. I guess he worked in some tech technician or something. But every day when I'd be on the porch, he would look up and he would wave at me and say hi. And I would wave back and say hi. And that was the highlight of my day. This girl needed a life. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) I did. I really did. But again, I was discovering boys. And, you know, again, this young man was way too old and he never would have even entertained. But he probably just saw a a lonely young little girl up there. And he served a purpose. Exactly. He gave you validation. Exactly. He he recognized you. He acknowledged you. That's right. uh, He wasn't a creep. No, he wasn't. He <laughs> was. really it was pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Um, but a couple years down the road, um, I had become affiliated with the church that my mother had joined. Now, of course, I went hesitantly because I didn't want to go to church. Now, I don't mean to be offensive to any faith, particularly the Catholic faith, what? but I was a Catholic most of my life and Catholics are quiet and Catholics don't stay in church all day long. <laughs> So when my mother, whose background is Baptist, her father was a Baptist preacher, you know, we found this church in Detroit called 12th Street Missionary Baptist Church. She became a member, and I had to go to church. Baptist. Baptist. And I know about Baptist churches because when I went to the South in the summertime, I had to go to vacation Bible school, not one week, but two weeks. <laughs> and not just my grandfather's church, every church in that town. I had to go to BTU, which was another two weeks, yep. day and night. Yep. And I had to go to Sunday school and I had to go to church. And heaven forbid, if there was an afternoon service, I had to go back to that. This was my summer vacation, by the way. So I knew about Baptist churches, which is why I was very hesitant about going to another Baptist church. But being the obedient child I was, I decided to go. And um, the first summer, they had vacation Bible school. I was pretty much, I'll take a beating. I wasn't going to church. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going So I don't know how it came about. I don't know if my mother talked to the VBS director or what. But anyway, she approached me and asked, would I consider being the secretary for the Vacation Bible School? And I asked, well, what do you have to do? And she basically said, you keep attendance, you pass out cookies and punch. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know, as long as I don't have to be in class. So I, I took it. It was something to do in the summertime. And, you know, surely she was true to what she said. I was in a little office and I took the attendance cards and I transferred the information in the attendance books and I wrote up the certificates and, you know, just had a good little time doing that. A um, couple of times I noticed someone, though, this this young man would bring in the cards and, you know, we really wouldn't speak. He was nice. I'd say hi. I'd say hi. And, you know, we kind of go off on our own. But I noticed that he was rather nice looking. And I also noticed that he was funny. And that person happened to be Philip. Mm-hmm. Now, I was at the time 13. And I think he was 16. He was going to at be 17. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was um, dating someone at the time. And, and so was I. So there was nothing really going on, but there was one incident that you and I crossed paths. I was coming up the steps and you were coming down the steps and we just kind of stopped for a split second. Time stood still. Yeah, it did. I don't know why. It did. But it did. But for some reason, butterflies just kind of 
came in my stomach and we, we locked eyes and just couldn't stop looking at each other for a moment. Right. It was a fleeting moment, but it was a moment. And then we just kind of passed each other and that was it. And it really wouldn't be for another year before we became a couple. Prior to that, there was more talking, a little bit more flirting. Right. Um, you had stopped dating the person you were dating and, and my situation was coming to a close. And as the more we talked, the more we got to know each other, the more I became comfortable with you and, and I hope you became comfortable with me. And we came to the point where we decided, I think I'd like to, at that time, say, I'd like to go with you. So Tony just uh, gave her 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 life from uh, early six or mid-60s mm-hmm. up to 78, which we started out this episode speaking about. Exactly. Uh, so wanna, let's yeah. tell them about you, dear. <laughs> Your turn. Well, my, well actually, uh, I'm four years older than Tony. Actually, um, actually. No, 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 no. It's three years. Four years. Three years it's... and 11 months. Okay, I'll give it to you. I was born in 60. She was born in 64. So that's all I got to say about that. That said, um, I grew up in Detroit. I am a, 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 a son of Detroit and um, grew up really if I say in the church, my life consisted of three primary places. If I wasn't at home with my other five other brothers and sisters and my parents, I was going to school in the summer. There were chores around the house, baseball in the streets or in the alley, and there was church. Uh, so it was one of those three places I would be, either home, school, or church. And as Tony tells about her Catholic background, which was completely foreign to me. Uh, Obviously, for those of you out there who have uh, had the Baptist upbringing experience, you understand that church takes up a lot of your life. Um, Outside of school and home, there was church on Sunday that started at our home around 6.37 o'clock. We're getting prepared, 8 o'clock. Mama was singing or playing some song. We had to be at the table to eat breakfast, out of the house. We had Sunday school around, left for church quarter 9, 9 o'clock. Sunday school. They were always late, by the way. Stop it. <laughs> 9 o'clock till 10.30, I think, was Sunday school, uh, preparing 11 o'clock for our service. And it didn't let out. If we got out before a quarter to one, that was a short service. Normally, it'd be 1 o'clock, one fifteen. And if it was first Sunday, forget it. it if you guys to- ever saw this <laughs> comedy routine with Gary Owens, he started church at 11 o'clock. And the next day... <laughs> So, so church was a lot of, of, of our life, of, of my life. A school was there. Um, but, but the other thing about our life, that my life, that was a little bit different from Tony, and she didn't speak a whole lot about it, but the influence of music in her life and in my life, being from Detroit, um, was also an integral part of growing up. On my side, it was a lot of gospel music. Um, but on Tony's, it was Motown. Motown. So, so we got to, to it was a pretty interesting blend there. But we're coming up to, um, I play baseball and, and in church. And the experience that Tony had mentioned about meeting in that stairwell. After she left, what was interesting, I mean, it was like 
Cupid just shot an arrow. I was dating this girl, but, you know, after that shot, it's like, how did I get out of this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was still um, young and, and naive about a lot of things, and but but I... I, I started to get this yearning for a commitment. And I was 16, 17 by that time. But I really, I had two girlfriends and they just didn't seem committed. And how much do you want to be committed at 16, 17? But in my heart, I wanted someone who was interested in me. And as Tony had spoke about us getting closer, it wasn't like I called her every night or anything, but I think we learned about each other by our interactions and activities that we shared was really around church. So whether it was vacation Bible school, choir rehearsal, choir rehearsal, usher board meeting, Sunday services, Sunday school, that is our that was our play field to find out about each other. And it wasn't like I honed in and just spotted Tony. It was that we just saw each other in action without really pursuing each other. Um, and if there's one, the first thing I like, I want to put out there is the idea that we got a chance to learn about each other. And I think that as we found commonality, it naturally started to draw us closer and closer together. Um, so, so that is, that is my, um, my, my, um, my background coming up to April of 1978. Um, I'm going to have Tony pick it back up and tell the, just talk about how yeah. we got together. Sure, sure, finally. sure. Well, it was a choir rehearsal, you know, Tuesday night choir rehearsal. We had usher board meeting, not usher, <laughs> usher board usher. At, uh, on Tuesdays at uh, from 6 to 7. And then we went into choir rehearsal um, 7 to 8 or something like that. But anyway, we had been talking quite a bit. I mean, quite a bit um, to the point where we had began holding hands, even we're not and that's a big step. Yeah, we weren't even a couple officially. So it pretty much, we knew. And so yeah. to make it official, um, again, we we go back and forth uh, as to who asked who to go together. But I think Philip has conceded. I have conceded. It was me. It I was asked, you. I asked Tony to go with me. That was the terminology used back in 1978. Will you go with me? That's right. And in those simple words, five words, <laughs> I had to count them out as I was saying them, that where, the way I took it was being committed. You will think what you will about how two young people can be that serious, that young. I don't understand it. I'm 59 years old, but it's clear to me as if I, if I was standing next, next to Philip, who was 17, that he was interested in one person. I don't under I don't know why. I can't explain it um, at seventeen. But I knew I wanted to be somebody's only boyfriend. And myself as well. Um, again, knowing my background with domestic violence, if we were to look at the stats, the majority of women who are involved in domestic violence or witness domestic violence relationships with children, sometimes, not all, but sometimes the, the daughters who witnessed, such as myself, may enter into a relationship with someone that would be an abuser as well, um, looking for affection, looking for love, 
and um, their intentions are pure. However, a predatory uh, male coming in and seeing vulnerability and weakness would take advantage of that, and then it co- then it could potentially end up in a violent situation. That's true. Um, for if we went down that road of that young lady's, um, how she would be geared to pick um, a mate, if I say it like that, pick someone that she want to go with. I believe that as Tony and I talked about our childhoods, what was different about the parental influences in Tony's life and my life, interestingly, were her grandparents and my parents. Tony's grandparents were about the age of my parents. So even though she had younger parents, a lot of Tony's um, influences on how she saw men wasn't necessarily from her father, but from her grandfather. Exactly. Likewise, on my side, a lot of my influences came from my father. Um, and then secondly, like I say, unlike, if I say unlike Tony's situation where she experienced domestic violence, and by the way, another thing I've learned about people who have experienced domestic violence, they are very good at hiding. Very good. That part of their lives. Honestly, for the first three years, mm-hmm. We went together. I never knew there was anything wrong inside of Tony's house. And I was calling her. We go to church and all of that. I never knew. Secondly, I was very naive about domestic violence because in my home, if my parents argued, we didn't hear about it. The kids never, we never heard about it. But I know that my parents if I say loved each other, but they talk things out. Now, it, to, to give some, some transparency here, there was one incident that happened, but what I saw from my father, the way he handled it, I'm like I said, I'm 59, and my father passed when I was 29. But what he did in that situation, which I won't go into um, any deeper, just to protect, just the nature of the incident, the way my father handled himself as a man and as a husband, I still find hard the words to describe the kind of inner peace, the inner power, the inner meekness, the inner self-control that that man exhibited in that situation. That was modeling for manhood that I put at the top of my list, I wanted to always be able to handle myself as a man, like my father handled himself in that situation. I love my father and the legacy he left on how to be a man. And my father didn't speak a lot, but the way he carried himself spoke volumes. And so that made a heavy impact on how I wanted to live my life. And how I wanted to carry myself. And I believe that those were some of the attributes that Tony saw in me. I failed in other areas. But, you know, like any person, you're going to have those periods in your life. So how you deal with them, how you grow from them, how you accept um, shortcomings without running from them, hiding behind them, or making weak excuses. You deal with it, you accept it, and you move on. 
And that is the reason why um, I, I feel very blessed because, again, I wasn't part of the statistics. Because of the upbringing with my grandparents, I stayed with my father's parents in New York during the week uh, while my parents worked. So I was heavily influenced with them. And when I went down south to Alabama with my mother's parents, again, it was the uh, exhibiting of uh, the true provider, the, the husband. And so I was influenced by that. And so in my young mind, I knew exactly what I wanted and I knew exactly what I didn't want. And so when it came time to uh, have a first kind of real relationship, I knew exactly what I wanted and I wasn't going to settle for anything less. It just happened to be Philip was the person that I felt the connection with that I felt that I could trust. And also in all of that happening, what I, di I didn't know that was happening at the time, but I was beginning to build my life with Christ. Now, be it prior to that, I wasn't really taking church seriously. I didn't really like going, but somehow uh, attending vacation Bible school at 12th Street, going to Sunday school, having a very young pastor at the time, I began my relationship my personal relationship with Christ that will uh, um, stick to me as it is today. You know, my journey with Christ definitely began there. And so, again, April 11th, 1978 was the day that we became a couple and have been a couple ever, ever since. since. Then. Wow. Yeah. 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 all the ups and downs that any, and if we say healthy relationship, I think it's unrealistic to expect a relationship with no problems. Quite honestly, in the year 2020, um, you pretty much know, even if you're together, you're going to have problems. If anyone says we don't have problems, you tune them right out. Yeah. Tony and I have had our share of problems over the years. And what has been, I believe, what we think are, are valuable lessons learned as we continue telling our story about the journey. But the first thing, and I shouldn't say the first thing, another component as we started dating was that April 11th, 1978, there's no way in the world, I, I can speak for myself, I didn't know if Tony and I would be going together six months from then because I had just been through three other girlfriends in the past six months and none of them panned out. In fact, I had a conversation with God saying, I don't like this thing about going together. It ain't working for me. Now, quite honestly, with that statement, I too have had a long relationship in my Christianity that dates way back when I was seven years old being baptized in a church. And I understand how much could a person know at seven years old. There are some truths that convince me that there is something outside of my physical being. And while I didn't understand the depth of it, I wanted what this Bible was talking about. In the emphasis, in whatever measure of intelligence I had, I wanted that. And that relationship grew when I was 10 years old to 13 years old, to actually trusting and asking in, in prayers for things. And this God that I hear read about in the Bible, he actually answered my prayer. Now, you can call it luck, chance, 
But I'm sorry, luck and chance don't be happening 100% of the time <laughs> when, when you ask in earnest. 100, I have never had an opportunity or an instance where I have asked God in earnest and he has not answered my prayer. I know that there is something greater than me. I don't need to study all of the psychologists and everything. Look, I can wake up in the morning, look out my window, see that mountain, see the beautiful skies, and something within me says there is something more to life than just what you're seeing. To me, he has introduced himself as God. And from the age of seven till 59, that entity, that person, that personal friend of mine, God has been with me that entire length of time. I'm not leaving them. It's work. If I go back real quickly, when I started dating Tony, I didn't know how long it would last. Six months, I didn't know. But I just daily just um, live my life without any, if I say, expectations other than I just wanted somebody to care about me. I know that we have told you just the front end of our journey. We're going to uh, come down from 30,000 feet and we're going to land this episode. But we want to talk about the takeaways from this, what we've shared today. So what's the takeaway? You know, And you can draw your own conclusions, but the takeaway from this is God hears the small prayers from small people. You know, we talked about when we were children, we were young adults, the the loneliness, the yearnings that we had to be accepted, to be loved. Mm -hmm. And God hears that. In Philip and I's situation, we found each other. But prior to that, you know, he still had his hands on us. Um, When I was witnessing domestic violence, he kept me. When Philip was playing baseball and wanted to catch Two balls and get one. No, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. with that instant, real quick, God answered my prayer when I was 10 years old because I was in trouble. I was playing in the baseball league, baseball league, and normally I played right field. I'm a left-hander, and balls nearly come, rarely come to right field. Well, the first baseman was absent, and my coach said, Bugs, you're going to play first base. Physically, it ain't much of a change in the position, but the responsibility was tremendously different. Without getting into a lot of that, I was in trouble. Now, I'd been in church, and I heard my mother talk about this God and everything, but I needed help. So I prayed right then real quick. I says, Lord, don't let me miss any balls and let me get two hits. That's the simplicity of the prayer I asked God. God answered my prayer. I didn't miss one ball. I got two hits, and in fact, I got a the only run of the game. Our team lost, but what I won was verification and validation that there is a God, and he is listening, even to a 10-year-old. Exactly. With the simplest of needs, he answered that simple need. And remember, God seeks you out. He, he wants to establish a relationship with you. Regardless of your age, with us, it was young. Yeah. Some of you may be just looking into it. Maybe you don't. But God really sincerely desires to be with his creation. So if you take nothing away from today, take that away, that God wants to be with you and he wants a relationship with you. That's true. Good. This episode was produced and edited by Miss Kay Simone. 
cover graphics by Indefinite, music by Miss K. Simone. So until next time, I'm Phil Bugs. And I'm Tony Bugs. Wishing you a wonderful week. <laughs>